Okay, Luke chapter 11 this morning. Luke chapter 11, and before we pray, let's just read from verse 5. Luke chapter 11 and verse 5, it says, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, He will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this day. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the opportunity, as always, to come together on this day and uh, spend time around your word. And we pray that, Lord, this morning you would uh, prepare each of our hearts to receive from you. Lord, you would teach us, that you would instruct us, bless us this morning, refresh us through your word. Lord, I pray that uh, you would empower me now through the Spirit, you give me wisdom and guidance as I speak, that it would be your words this morning, that it would be from you, and that, Lord, your name would be honoured and glorified and praised, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You know, prayer is something that as believers we sometimes fail to truly appreciate. You know, we fail to understand uh, the importance of prayer or the necessity of prayer. And so our prayer life becomes one of those things that can be neglected. We sort of don't give it the time that we ought. But as someone once said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is more than a privilege, it is a necessity, an indispensable part of our walk with God. Prayer is not something we can just let go by the side. It's something important to us as believers. Prayer was definitely something that was important to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I mean, he spent much time in prayer with the Father. And Luke, in his Uh, gospel he takes special notice of the times that christ spent in prayer he records for us numerous occasions when the lord uh, spent time alone and he spent time with the father he records for us that the lord prayed at his baptism in luke 3 and verse 21 says now when all the people were baptized it came to pass that jesus also being baptized and praying the heaven was open He records also how Christ withdrew to the wilderness to be alone with his father in prayer before he, uh, uh, sorry, to be alone with his father in a time of prayer. Luke 5 verse 16, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. In Luke 6 verse 12, Christ spent time in prayer the night before he appointed the 12 disciples. It says, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. He spent a whole night in prayer before he chose the twelve. Also in Luke 9 verse 18 we read, And it came to pass, as he was alone, 
praying. Finally, Luke 9, verse 29, we see he prayed as he was transfigured uh, before his disciples. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. The point is, our Lord had an intimate prayer life. He had an intimate prayer life. He spent much time communicating with the Father. And it didn't go unnoticed by Luke, and it definitely didn't go unnoticed by the disciples as a whole. You know, they watched his earnestness in prayer, and they saw the excellency of it. They saw his passion as he prayed, as he communed with the Father. And they desired to learn how to pray in the same way. One commentator said this, he said, There was something about watching Jesus pray that made them want to learn how to pray as Jesus prayed. There was something magnetic about the prayer life of Jesus. And the way he prayed showed something of his relationship with God the Father. Indeed, the disciples, they wanted that same relationship that Jesus had with the Father. And indeed, we should desire that same relationship. And such was their desire that they, on this particular occasion, you know, when the Lord finished praying, they come now and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And the Lord responds by giving them what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Let's just read from verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, as in heaven, so, on, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this is the second time Christ has actually given uh, this prayer. He gave it also in, in Matthew at an earlier occasion than this. And so this is the second time he's given this instruction concerning prayer. But the Lord here is not giving them a prayer simply to repeat. You know, he's not just giving them a, a list, a, a, a prayer written out and says, pray this every time you come and pray. Rather, what the Lord is doing here is he's giving his disciples and indeed giving us, he's giving us a pattern to follow when we pray. And so our prayer should include the things listed here in the Lord's prayer. And so we see that when we pray, we should approach God with reverence worship and a desire for his will to be done that's verse 2 and he said unto them when you pray say our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done as in heaven so in earth you know if we know lord jesus christ as our personal savior then we are privileged to approach god as our heavenly father and so we approach him as our father, we come to spend time with him, and as we spend time with him, we offer worship, hallowed be thy name. We offer glory under his name, recognize his glory, and we pray for his will to be done. In verse 3, we see that our prayer also is to include bringing our petitions before him. It says in verse 3, give us day by day our daily bread. Now, it's not bringing our wants before him, we're to bring our needs before him. Daily bread. 
our needs, the needs of others. We bring them before our Father, the one who cares for us. We trust these needs to his care. In verse 4, we see that one of those needs is forgiveness of sin. Verse 4, it says, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. You know, we all sin daily. And so we must come confessing our sin to our loving Father. Come before Him, knowing that as a loving Father, He will forgive. And then finally, we're told that our prayers should include a prayer for leading throughout the day. It says at the end of verse 4 there, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so we ought to pray for His leading. You know, we all need His leading each and every day. We need His strength, His guidance. You know, having given his disciples and indeed given us this wonderful pattern for prayer, you know, this is what our prayer should include, these things. Christ now goes on and he gives a parable that teaches us to be persistent in prayer. To not be discouraged, to not give up, to not stop praying, but rather to be persistent as we come before him in prayer. And this is where I want us to focus our attention this morning on this parable that the Lord gives. Let's notice firstly with me this morning the parable story. The parable story. Let's read it again. Verse 5 <clears throat> says, And he said unto them, which of, you shall, sorry, which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though you will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. You know, in these verses we see the Lord now tell a story about a man going unto his friend at midnight and in requesting three loaves of bread. Requesting some food. You know, this is an unusual time to be making such a request, isn't it? The middle of the night. An unusual time to be going and requesting food. But the reason for the request is the sudden arrival of another friend at his doorstep. A guest has arrived and it's caught him unprepared. Verse 6 says, For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. So we see their friend has arrived at his doorstep in the, the middle of the night and he has nothing to set before him, nothing to give him. Now to us it seems very strange that a friend would arrive at your door unannounced in the middle of the night and re request lodging and request food. This wasn't completely unusual in Bible times. As the commentator Butler notes, this company came unannounced, but such arrivals at that hour were not as unusual as they would be in our day. For in those days, in, in hot countries, people traveled by night and rested during the day. The traveling friend here needed a place to stay. So he stopped at a friend's house in the middle of the night. This is the way they did things in those days. And so this is not completely unusual, something that would have occurred. They would have understood what Christ is speaking about. We've seen that with all the parables, haven't we? Christ takes something they all understand. It's something they all have experienced or seen. And so this is true here as well. 
And so this man in the story, he set out in the evening to travel in the cool of the evening and he now arrives weary, tired, hungry at his friend's doorstep needing a place to stay for the night. And so immediately there is a need now that needs to be met. You know, the householder, he has a responsibility to meet that need. He has a responsibility to show his friends some hospitality, providing food and lodging for the nights. And so this immediately presents the householder with a crisis. You know, he has no bread to set before his friend. He says that there, he says at the end of verse 6, and I have nothing to set before him. He has no bread, so he has a crisis. You see, in Bible times, hospitality was considered to be something of utmost importance. You know, it was a, a sacred duty. And to fail to provide hospitality was not only going to be shameful for him, bring shame upon his family, but it was considered to be a great offense to the whole community. One writer said this, he said his guest was hungry after a long journey and custom made it the host's duty to provide a meal. Not to do so would have brought disgrace, not only on the man, but on the entire village. And so we see this man, he faces a crisis at midnight. He doesn't want to you know, disgrace himself or indeed the whole village. He wants to do the right thing. He's desperate not to fail in his responsibility. And so he goes now to a friend who lives nearby and he requests some help. Verse 5 says, and he, said, and he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. And so we see this man, <clears throat> he goes to his friend at midnight. He's pressed uh, by the urgency of the need. And he knocks on his friend's door and he requests three loaves of bread. And in verse 7, we see now the friend's response. Verse 7, it says, And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is shut, now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Here's the friend's response. The friend is annoyed. The friend is annoyed by the disturbance to be awoken up in the middle of the night. And he responds, he says, trouble me not. Now in the Greek, this is a pretty strong statement. Robinson says that it means stop furnishing troubles to me. It's a harsh response. He's, he's annoyed to be awoken in the middle of the night. And so he speaks roughly to his friend and he basically says, go away, stop troubling me. And I don't care about your troubles. That's really what he's saying here. I don't care about your troubles. This friend's not willing to show hospitality, is he? Because that's really what he's now asking his friend to do. Show him some hospitality. But he's not willing to do so. And as we read on, we see that he offers excuses as to why he cannot meet the need. He says, trouble me not, uh, verse 7, and he, and he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not, the door is now shut. And so his first excuse is, I've, I've locked the door for the night. I can't rise, I can't unlock the door. It's too much effort, it's too much trouble. Again, Robinson notes that oriental locks are not easy to unlock. The point is, when the door was shut for the night, it was meant to stay locked. It wasn't as simple as just rising and going over and turning the handle or turning the key. 
There was a lot of effort involved in unlocking the door. It's going to take considerable effort. And so this friend, he has no desire to go to such great lengths. He wants to go back to sleep. He has no concern. And then he adds, he says, And my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. So not only is the door bolted shut, he says, but also my children are asleep and I don't want to disturb them. I don't want to wake them up. Now to fully understand the Lord's picture here, we need to picture for ourselves a one-roomed house that most people lived in in those days. It was only the rich who had multiple rooms. Most people lived in a single-roomed house and so they are all asleep in that same room. The parents, the children, even the servants They're all asleep in that room. And so for this man to now get up and unbolt the door is going to disturb everyone. It's going to wake up the family. But you know, in reality, these are just excuses, aren't they? They're really just excuses. And they demonstrate for us that this man is selfish. He's unhospitable. He's unloving. He has no desire to put himself out to help his friend. He basically tells him, go away, stop disturbing my family. But the man outside refuses to take no for an answer. Instead, he continues to knock and he continues to ask for the man to open the door and meet his need. Look in verse 8. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. You know, the Lord declares that he finally decides to open the door, not out of friendship, not out of love, not out of concern for his friend. He opens the door to get rid of him. He's had enough. This man has now become a nuisance, you know, by his continual knocking. As he says there in verse 8, it says, Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. The word importunity here, This Greek word's only found here in the New Testament and it literally means shamelessness. Shamelessness. Ryle says that here it signifies a continual asking and entreating in spite of rebuffs, like the asking of an impotent beggar. You see, the point is this man has not stopped knocking. He's just continued to knock. He's continued to ask. He's been shameless in his actions. He would not be turned away by the the harsh response of his friend. He would not be turned away by the excuses. He persisted until his friend met his need. You might ask, what's the whole point of this parable? See, the parable is given by the Lord here to demonstrate for us how effective persistence can be. That's the point of the, the, the parable here in a nutshell, to show how persistence can change things or can be effective upon someone you see the householder in the parable is selfish he's unloving in his response to his friend but even this selfish unloving man is swayed by persistence he's swayed into action the implication of the parable therefore is how much more shall our persistence in prayer Move the one who loves us with a perfect love. McLaren writes this. He says, If persistence has such power 
with selfish men, how much more shall it avail with him who slumbers not, nor sleeps, and to whom we can never come at an inappropriate moment, and who will give us because we are his friends, and he, are, he, he ours. You see, the parable presents for us a great contrast. You know, often in the parables, Christ is saying that he is like this. Well, here he's telling us, I'm not like this. He's the very opposite of this selfish, sleepy friend. You see, God is never asleep. God is never awakened, never disturbed by our prayers. He's never annoyed to hear our requests. And he never refuses to rise and act. He never refuses to rise and open the door because he can't be bothered. Now, our God is a loving, gracious God. Our God is always ready and willing to answer. He is our heavenly Father and He cares what we are going through. And so how much more should we persist in our prayers, considering the one we're asking actually loves us and cares about us and wants to meet that need? Dwight Pentecost summed it up well. He said, If even an unwilling human friend can be moved by persistent intercession, how much more will God be moved by the persistence of an intercessor? With this in mind, Christ now goes on and he applies the truth of the parable for us. And so we see secondly here this morning the application. <clears throat> the application, look in verse 9 with me. Christ says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then... Being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Christ says, and I say unto you, or therefore I say unto you, ask, seek, knock. That's the application of the parable. He says, since that's true, since persistence has such an effect upon an unselfish man, ask, seek, knock. He says, be persistent in your prayers unto the Lord. You see, all three of these words here are in the present tense. And so Christ basically says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The word ask here implies humility. It speaks of us being consciously aware of our need and we come aware of that need and we humbly ask he who is greater to meet our need. We ask him humbly. The word seek adds to this the idea of asking earnestly. You know, to seek after something takes effort. It takes energy. It takes time. And so prayer is to be more than just a, a casual exercise. It is to be something we give time and energy to. We have a need and we come humbly before him and we earnestly Seek that he would meet that need. And then the word knock speaks of us persevering until the door opens. 
But it's not the idea of us pounding on that door, you know, disrespectfully. The word knock here is to rap. It's to reverently keep knocking. It speaks of us not becoming weary in prayer when there seems to be no answer. Christ says, keep on knocking. And so the Lord tells us here clearly not to become discouraged in our prayers, but rather to continue to ask, seek, knock, continue to humbly, earnestly, reverently bring our needs before the Lord and he promises to answer. Read verse 9 again with me. And I say unto you, ask and shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now we're given here the wonderful assurance that our prayers will be heard and they will be answered. The Lord won't ever ignore us. He's not ever going to just sit inside and ignore us. He's not ever going to tell us to, to go away. Our Lord will always answer our prayers. He will always meet our needs according to His will. One commentator wrote this. He said, We are to come to the Father convinced that He is committed to meet our needs. We do not need to nag Him or pester Him but we do need to persist. The Lord often uses delay to deepen our dependence upon Him or to refine our understanding of what we need from Him. Prayer involves seeing ourselves as needy people without the resources to meet our needs. When we recognize that God alone can supply what we lack, we will ask, seek and knock persistently. See, we don't need to nag him or pester him. We don't need to nag or pester, but we do need to persist. Keep bringing those things before the Lord, and the Lord says that he will meet that need. Sometimes it might not be the way we wanted him to meet the need. It might not be the answer we were after, but he will answer. You see, God will use those delays to deepen our dependence upon him. You know, as we read on, we see that Christ now gives us the reason why we can do this. Why can we confidently, persistently bring our needs before Him and know He won't turn us away? The reason is because He is our loving Father. Just read with me those final verses there, verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now in these final verses, we see the Lord now point to how a loving Father deals with his children. And he says it's an example of how God deals with us as his children. Now no human father is perfect. We're all sinners. We're all selfish. But a good father still knows how to give good gifts unto his children. A good father still loves his children and will respond to their needs, as we just saw there in verse 11 and 12. Respond to their needs. You know, Christ gives the illusion here in verse 11 and 12 of a child coming to his father and asking for three 
staple articles of food. Bread, fish, egg. So this son's not coming asking for his wants to be met. He's not coming saying, I want a new bike or whatever it might be. He's coming saying, I want something to eat. He's coming for his needs to be met. And Christ makes the point here that a good father will not respond by mocking his child. A good father is not going to mock him by instead of giving him bread, give him a stone and laugh as he tries to eat that stone. A good father is not going to harm his child by giving him something dangerous instead, a serpent or a scorpion. No, a good father is going to respond by lovingly meeting that need as he is able. As he is able. In verse 13, Christ makes the point clear, doesn't he? He says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Christ makes the point abundantly clear, doesn't he? He says, If human fathers who are wicked, who are evil, sinful and selfish, if we still listen to our children and we still give them what they need, how much more is our heavenly Father, who is perfect, who is holy, who always cares about us and is always going to put our needs first, how much more will He respond to our every need? So the point is that we can be sure that His response to our petitions is always going to be just what we need. One commentator wrote this. He said, just as a loving, sorry, just as no loving earthly parent would disappoint his child by giving what is worthless or harmful instead of the good sorts, neither will God ever give what will in the long run be a disappointment to us. If he substitutes something for something else for what we ask, we can be sure it will be better than that for which we have pleaded. So that's the point, isn't it? You know, as we come and we bring those needs before the Lord, He may not meet it in the way we thought. He says, no, no, you actually need this, and He meets our need. But He will always meet our need. You see, beloved, we can confidently, persistently ask, seek, knock, because He is our Heavenly Father. You know, there are certainly times when we ask believing that we're asking according to His will, and it seems like there's no answer, doesn't it? It seems like, just like the parable, that the Lord's not answering, like He's asleep. We're knocking, and it seems like the Lord's not responding. But beloved, remember, the Lord is not like that sleepy friend. He's a loving Father. And so the delay, when He doesn't seem to answer, the delay is not because God is asleep. It's not because God cannot be bothered to rise and answer because God is not a selfish friend. He is our loving Father. And so He is simply saying, wait, my time hasn't yet come. Wait, I'll provide in this way. Or maybe His answer is no. But we need to understand His answer is always right. You see, the Lord has, has promised to provide our every need. Let's turn to Philippians 4. A couple of verses that I'm sure we know well. Philippians 4. <clears throat> verse 19 Paul says to the Philippians he says but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory 
by Christ Jesus. Beloved, we can be sure that God will supply all our needs. Not our wants, our needs, according to his riches in glory. Also in First John chapter four, uh, chapter five, sorry, First John 4, five, <clears throat> we read that if we ask anything according to His will, He will hear us and answer us. First John five, <clears throat> and verse fourteen. First John five verse fourteen says, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Love, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And our needs are his will. He will meet our needs. We're sure he hears. We can be sure he will answer. As we said before, we must realize that he will answer in his way and he will answer in his perfect timing. Commentator Ryle sums it up really well. He said this, <clears throat> The time and way in which our prayers shall be answered are matters which we must leave entirely to God, but that every petition which we offer in faith shall certainly be answered, we need not doubt. Let us lay our matters before God again and again, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. The answer may be long in coming, as it was in the cases of Hannah and Zacharias. But though it tarry, let us pray on and wait for it. At the right time, it will surely come and not tarry. You see, beloved, delays are only ever about deepening our faith and our trust in Him. It's about teaching us patience, or it's about refining our understanding of what we actually need. His delays are about our spiritual growth. And so rather than becoming discouraged and quit praying, we must patiently, persistently keep on praying, keep on trusting Him. And you know, our persistence in prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. And that's important to remember. It doesn't change God. It changes us. Because you see, it develops in us a heart and a passion for what God wants. Persistent prayer helps us to grow spiritually and to see and evaluate our needs correctly. Because sometimes we fail to see what we really need. And Christ actually declares for us our greatest need at the end of this, this verse here. He tells us that our greatest need, the best gift that God the Father gives unto us is what? The Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13 again. If ye then being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Christ says that our loving Father will respond by giving us the Holy Spirit if we ask. Now, of course, as believers, we already have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us at the point of salvation. But this declares to us that it's God's desire to pour out His Spirit upon us, to fill us, control us, if we'll ask Him. You see, the Holy Spirit is the best gift and meets our every need. Think about it. Through the power of the Spirit, we are changed to be more like Him. Through the power of the Spirit, we overcome sin, that sin that we're pleading with the Lord for victory over. 
through the power of the Spirit. Through his power, we experience peace and rest in the midst of that trial, that tribulation that we're pleading with the Lord to take away or bring us safely through. The Spirit gives us peace and rest. The Spirit gives us contentment with what we actually have, realizing we don't need other things. We actually have what we need. The Spirit gives us joy and peace in our hearts. You see, the Holy Spirit's filling, controlling is our need. It's our greatest need. And God has promised that if we will ask, He will give. Beloved, let us never become discouraged in prayer. He's our wonderful Heavenly Father. And He is always ready to answer our prayers and to meet our needs in His perfect timing and according to His will. Let us therefore persistently pray. Let us ask, seek and knock and wait patiently upon Him. For God will always answer. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for parables like this that teach us, Lord, what you are not like. You're not like that sleepy, selfish friend. But, Lord, you are indeed a loving, heavenly Father. And, Lord, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can ask, seek, and knock persistently and know, Lord, that you care. Know that you hear and know that you will answer and meet our every need. Indeed, you will give us the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit as we need. Lord, may you help us in our own prayer lives not to be discouraged, just to keep on praying, keep trusting you. Lord, work in our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name.